Welcome to the March Pensions Podcast on the Stevenson Hold Pensions Law team. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. I'm Mark Catchpole, a partner in the Pensions Law Team at Stevenson Harwood, and I have with me Alex Rush, a senior associate in the team. Today we're going to talk about some of the key Pensions Law developments up to the end of March 2019, including significant changes to pensions regulation and government proposals to promote investment in illiquid assets and the consolidation of occupational defined contribution pension schemes. Over to you, Alex. Thanks, Mark. As we mentioned briefly in last month's snapshot, the government has signalled a significant revamp of the moral hazard regime for defined benefit pension schemes. Some of the most notable changes proposed include seven years imprisonment and or unlimited fines for willful and reckless behaviour in relation to pension schemes, the requirement for employers to notify the pensions regulator of certain M&A activity and other transactions, and also a requirement for companies to produce a declaration of intent in relation to certain M&A activity. This must be provided to affected defined benefit pension scheme trustees and the pensions regulator, and must, among other things, explain how any detriment to the defined benefit scheme is to be mitigated. DB scheme sponsors, trustees and all those involved in M&A activity will need to watch closely for further legislation and policy announcements on these proposals. For further information, please see our briefing note published in early February. So it sounds like quite a significant change. Thanks for that, Alex. There are also possible changes in the pipeline for occupational defined contribution pension schemes. The DWP is consulting on how to prompt trustees of larger schemes to consider investing in illiquid assets in order for members to benefit from the illiquidity premium. The DWP suggests requiring trustees to state their policy on illiquid assets in the Statement of Investment Principles and then to report annually on how they've implemented this. In addition, the default fund's percentage holdings in illiquid assets should also be provided. The intention is that this requirement would apply only to schemes of a certain size, for example those with schemes over a threshold of 250 million or 1 billion, or with a minimum number of members, for example 5,000 or 20,000. It is therefore likely that the impact of the measure would generally be limited to schemes which have in-house investment experts or access to external advisors. In addition, the DWP is also proposing consolidation in the occupational defined contribution market. There is a concern that some smaller defined contribution schemes are not as well governed as larger schemes. The proposal put forward is to require the chair's statement to include an assessment of whether it would be in the member's best interest to be transferred into another scheme, for example a master trust. Factors to be considered would be charges and costs, as well as quality of governance and administration. It is suggested that schemes with more than 10 million in assets, or 1,000 members, would not need to produce such a statement, and those that do would only need to do so once every three years. Thanks, Mark. If these proposals are implemented, time will tell if they have an impact on the illiquid assets market and define contribution consolidation or if they will amount to just an administrative tick-box exercise for trustees. Our final topic for this month's podcast is the challenge to the PPF's implementation of the Hampshire decision. 
You may recall that in late 2018, the PPF set out its plans for calculating and paying increases to the benefits of PPF members affected by the Court of Justice of the European Union ruling in the Hampshire case. The Court ruled in this case that pension scheme members should receive at least 50% of the value of their accrued old age benefits if their employer becomes insolvent. Briefly, the PPF's intention is to undertake a one-off calculation to work out if a member is affected by the ruling. The PPF has issued a further update about its approach to calculating the required increases. This confirms that new High Court proceedings have been launched against the PPF, which seek to challenge, amongst other things, its intended calculation approach. No further information is currently available in relation to the court proceedings or the exact details of what exactly has been challenged. However, for the time being, the PPF has decided that it will continue with its plan for paying increases to affected members. This will limit the size of arrears payments to avoid the risk of having to recover overpayments if the court decides that a different calculation approach is required. The PPF intends to keep its approach under review in the light of how the proceedings develop. Okay, thanks, Alex. That's all for this month's podcast. Additional detail on the subjects discussed can be found in the March snapshot and briefing entitled Watch Out, Watch Out, The Regulator's About, sent out in early February. Or from your usual Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law team contact. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the podcast informative. And don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud or on the Stevenson Harwood website. <laughs>